Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is John Crawford, and I'm one of the pastors here, and really excited to be with you all as we continue in our series in John. Um, if this is your first time here with us, either in person or on the live stream, we want to welcome you. Uh, we're really grateful that you take some time out of your weekend to be with us and explore who Jesus is. And so um, with that, there is a difference between hearing and listening. While they both use our ears and require our ears, they're two different things. Hearing is one of our five senses that just simply happens naturally. But listening is a choice. Listening requires you to actively, to tr actively try to understand what you've heard. So these are two different things. And in our lives, I'm sure that we have tons of experiences and examples where we have heard but not listened. For those of us who are parents like, like I am, we know this with our kids, right? Tell our kids to do something or not to do something. They hear us, but then they don't listen. Think about the time my middle son, we've got three boys, my middle son Jonah is almost five years old now, and about a year ago, I grill a lot in our backyard, and a year ago, he had this obsession where he kept wanting to like touch the grill, even when the grill was covered, but you know, the top of the grill gets really hot, and so he kept telling him, don't do that, don't do that, you're going to get burned, it's going to hurt, don't do that, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But Jonah went ahead, and one day, even though he heard us, he didn't listen, and he touched the top of the grill and burned all of his fingers. Or if it's in our relationships, not just with kids, but significant other or your spouse. How many times have you heard them say something, but then you haven't listened? I think about my wife, Marika. Oftentimes, if I'm going to the store or out to run errands, she'll ask me. She'll say, hey, can you get this? And, and I hear her, but then I don't listen when I come home and don't have the very thing she asked me to get, right? <laughs> <laughs> or for some of us, it's in school, right? With teachers or professors. How many times did you hear your teacher give you the directions of how to do something, but you weren't listening? And so then when it came time to do it, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? This would always happen in labs for me, like biology lab. You know, we're about to dissect something and I'm hearing the, hearing the teacher say, yeah, this is how you're going to do it. And then it came time to dissect the thing, but I wasn't listening. And so all of a sudden you're starting to cut parts of the body off that you weren't supposed to. See, every one of us has countless experiences of times where we have heard and not listened in our lives. But the dangerous thing is we can do this with Jesus too. We can hear Jesus, but not listen to him. Or even more so, you can hear about Jesus and not listen to Jesus. And this is what we're going to see in our passage today in John chapter 7. And so before we dive in, would you pray with me? Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? As we gather as your people, Lord, we want to hear from you. We ask that your spirit would move. We welcome you here just as we sang, Holy Spirit. Ask that your words would be my words, that I wouldn't stand in the way as a hindrance, but Jesus, that you would speak to your people this morning and that we would listen. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to be continuing in John chapter 7, looking at verses 40 to 52 this morning. So let's dive in in verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. It's the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus has obscure origins. Jesus has obscure origins, and some people don't listen to Jesus because of the obscure place he's from. And so you have this crowd that's gathered around and they've heard Jesus speak. We're still at the Feast of Booths, this festival that Josh preached about and then Jake preached about the week before. We've been at this festival for a couple weeks now and the crowd is gathered around. They've heard Jesus say something. In verse 37, Josh preached on it last week. Jesus stands up to the crowd and he says this. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so this crowd hears Jesus say this. Out of their heart would flow rivers of living water if they believe in him. And see, some of the crowd hears Jesus say this, and they decide to listen. They listen to Jesus. And as they listen to Jesus, they start to wrestle with what they knew the scriptures said. And so some of them said, is this the prophet Is this the one that Moses spoke of back in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Verse 18 specifically, Moses spoke of another prophet who would come after him, who would be a second redeemer, who would deliver the people. And so the people are saying, is this him? Could this be him? But then some of the other people who listen to Jesus say, is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we have long been waiting for who will deliver us? Those who listen to Jesus wrestle with who he is. But then others in the crowd, they refuse to listen to him. They don't listen to Jesus because they hear him, they hear him speak, but automatically they stand with their arms crossed and say, he's from Galilee. We're not listening. He's got obscure origins. Because of the place that he's from, we will not listen to him, his hometown. And so they dismiss him. They say, you're disqualified, Jesus. We're not going to listen to you. We see at other places throughout John's gospel, there's this sentiment towards Galilee and specifically Nazareth, where Jesus is from. Nazareth is is a town in Galilee. All the way back in John chapter one, when Nathanael first hears of Jesus, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? No, nothing good can come from there. Jesus can't be the Messiah. We have modern day Galilees. Living in Arizona, where would you guys say, shout it out, where's a modern day Galilee for us living in Arizona? Yuma, Tucson, Tucson, right answer. There we go, Tucson, Tucson, here we go. Modern day Galilee, we'll say it's Tucson, right? We'll keep up our tradition at Redemption Tempe and we'll pick on Tucson a bit, right? Tucson's the modern day Galilee, right? It's an obscure place. If you've been there, they have the worst freeway system in the world. Very obscure place, right? But my friend Stephen Collins just moved up here recently, a few months ago, from Tucson. Happens to be uh, a part of our pastoral uh, residency program here. He's part of our staff. And Stephen would be our modern-day Galilean. But what if 
because he's from Tucson, what if we refuse to listen to anything that he said? We'd be missing out because he's actually a really insightful guy who has pastoral experience and a really godly guy. We would be missing out. But here's the irony. Stephen's not actually from Tucson. That's not where he was born. He lived there for a period of time. And here's, now you, here's how you know that he's not from Tucson. He doesn't like the Wildcats. He's not a U of A fan, right? That shows that, that he, he's not born there. He's actually born somewhere else. The irony here is the very thing that the crowd who refuses to listen to Jesus because he's not from Bethlehem, the irony here is Jesus was not born in Galilee. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The very place that they're demanding that he be from, Jesus was from there. It's almost as if this crowd has forgotten that you can live somewhere and not be born there, right? For those of you who live in Arizona, this is a transplant state. I'm born and raised here, and last service, I won't do it this service, but last service, two-thirds of people raised their hand and said they're not from here, right? There's only a third of us in the room that are born and raised here. It's almost as if they forgot that you can live somewhere and not be born there. But their problem, the problem with the crowd who refused to listen is not just Galilee in and of itself, it's that they're focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on where Jesus was born rather than where he actually came from. Because he didn't actually even come from Bethlehem, he came from the Father above and now he's put on flesh and he's present with them. They have the God of all creation present with them, but they won't listen. Similarly today, people miss Jesus because of the obscure place he's from. You think about the God of all creation who created everything, being born in the first century as a Middle Eastern man in a backwoods town in a barn, it can cause people to miss Jesus. His perceived weakness is obscure. People can miss Jesus because when he was born and when he came, he didn't come as the new Caesar in Rome and overthrow Rome. That's not how he came, but he came quietly in the small town of Bethlehem. So Jesus does this because he delights to reveal himself through obscurity, because he's clothed in humility. But Jesus doesn't just show up in the first century in obscure places. Jesus shows up today in obscure places. The church. The church is an obscure place. We are the church. We're obscure people, but we're part of God's plan. See, if you were God and you looked at the world... And the mess of the world that we have, the brokenness, the evil, the sin, everything. If you were God and you could fix the world and make things right, how would you do it? Well, I know for me, I'm thinking, well, first, I'm going to go to Wall Street. And I'm going to take over Wall Street. And then I'm going to D.C. I'm going to take over D.C. And then I'm going to take over the military. And then I'm going to the other coast and I'm going to take over Hollywood. Because I'm thinking about all of these powerful, prominent places where you can have immediate results, right? Immediate impact. So I'm thinking through these big, powerful places, but that's not how God has chosen to operate. 
God has chosen a different plan. He has chosen us, his people, the church, as his vehicle of restoration in the world. But the church is messy. Every one of our lives and our stories is messy. The church is obscure. The church can even be perceived as weak. The church has all kinds of abnormalities in it because that's who we are. We bring our baggage and our sinfulness, but yet God has chosen to work through obscure means in the world. God chooses to use us in spite of our messiness, in spite of our brokenness. His plan to redeem and restore involves you and I, people like us. And as we participate in what he's doing, this is how God demonstrates his power in the world. His plan may look weak. His plan may even look foolish to those on the outside looking in, to those who might be missing Jesus. They say, man, this obscure church might look foolish and weak, but this is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It'll be on the screen. Apostle Paul writes, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Obscurity is the way of Jesus. And he is inviting you this morning to embrace obscurity so that you can experience his power clothed in humility. Let's continue on and see how the crowd reacts here in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of us, the authorities or the Pharisees, believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The next thing we see in this passage is that the Pharisees say, We know better. We know better. But the officers listened to Jesus because of the power of his words. But the Pharisees actually miss out because the power of their pride. And so here's the scene. You've got these temple police officers. They've been commissioned by their bosses, the chief priests and the Pharisees, to go down to this festival, to go find Jesus. They've been given an arrest warrant in verse 32 to go arrest Jesus. And so the temple officers, they do what they've been told to do by their bosses. And they say, okay, we're going to go down. We're going to arrest Jesus. We're going to come back and we're going to bring Jesus to the Pharisees. But now, they've come back empty-handed. They didn't bring Jesus. They didn't arrest him. And so now we see here in verse 45 the reaction of the Pharisees. Where is he? You had one job to do. You only had one job and you didn't do it. You didn't arrest Jesus. Why wouldn't you have arrested him? I love this. I love the temple officer's response. And imagine that they lean into the chief priests and Pharisees and they say, guys, but you don't understand. We couldn't do it. We couldn't arrest Jesus because we've never, in all of our lives, we've never heard anyone 
speak like Jesus. They say, but no one has ever spoken like Jesus. You guys are missing it. We went down there to arrest him, but we couldn't bring him back because no one has ever spoken like this man, Jesus. We've never heard anyone speak with such power. We've never heard anyone speak with such authority. And as we're listening, we had never heard anyone speak with such beauty as this man, Jesus, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't arrest him. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Because these temple officers had heard about Jesus. They heard the Pharisees and the chief priests talking about Jesus. They knew why they were going to arrest him. They knew why they had the arrest warrant. And they knew about Jesus. And upon showing up, everything that they had heard about Jesus was challenged when they actually listened to Jesus. When they listened to Jesus, everything that they had heard was challenged and they experienced the very power of his words. And their response is one of awe. They're amazed at Jesus. They're even disoriented by Jesus. So much so that they're like, I don't know why we were sent here to arrest this man. We will forfeit our job. We're going to go back empty-handed to face our boss. But this man, there is something about this man that is so powerful that we can't lay hands on him. But we got to throw a bone to the Pharisees, all right? Because they're probably scratching their heads. This is a bit crazy, okay? Let's put it in, uh, let's imagine here, in, in our own city, right? This is like Tempe PD, okay? Tempe Police Department. They get an arrest warrant to go to a criminal's house, show up, arrest the criminal, and come back with the criminal, right? It would be like Tempe PD showing up to the address of the criminal, having an interaction with the criminal and saying, hey, we actually like this dude. He's pretty cool. We actually like this dude better than our uh, police chief and we're not gonna arrest this guy even though we got a, got a warrant. And so we're gonna go back to the police chief and say, hey, you know what? We didn't arrest him because we actually like him and we're not gonna do our job anymore. Says no police officer ever, right? Like that doesn't happen, but that's what's going on here. And so the, the Pharisees are, they're bewildered. But see, the difference between these officers and the Tempe PD analogy is that Jesus isn't a criminal. He's God in the flesh. And these temple officers experience the very power that overwhelms you about Jesus. They experience the very power that transforms you. They experience the power that enables you to embrace obscurity because you experience the beauty of Jesus. The reality is, when you take time and listen to Jesus, and you encounter his power, it emboldens you and empowers you to go and share the good news of Jesus with other people because you know, like these officers, when you listen to Jesus and experience his power, that there is nothing else in all the world like Jesus. That there is no one else in all of the world like Jesus, and when you have encountered it, You're emboldened to share it because everyone else is searching. You say, guys, guys, you're missing it. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that no one else in all the world is like. But the Pharisees, 
The power of their pride causes them to dismiss these temple officers. We see here that they're not having it. They almost have earplugs in, right? They're plugging their ears because their pride is preventing them from listening. Their mind is made up about Jesus. And so we see their reaction. The reaction is one of anger and it's one of contempt. And they say here, have you been deceived? They're saying that Jesus is a false prophet. You guys must have been deceived. Jesus has led you astray. He's a false prophet. Surely none of us. Have any of us believed? Surely none of us. The Pharisees and chief priests, we are the educated elite. We are the ones who have studied the law. Have any of us believed? No, we would never believe. But the problem is, you've been duped by this man, Jesus. You're like the rest of those in verse 49, they say, are accursed. You're one of the people of the land, one of the common people the Pharisees would refer to. These are people who didn't study the law. You're one of the ignorant, uneducated people of the land, and you've been duped like those who are cursed. The Pharisees say, you guys are missing out. You're missing what is true. Jesus is a false prophet when really the Pharisees are the ones missing out. They boast and they're proud when they are missing out on Jesus. They miss out because they have this we-know-better mentality and they're smug towards Jesus. And they miss out on encountering him and they miss out on his transformative power. But I wonder, for you today, where is God on the move that you might be missing out on? Where is God on the move that you might be missing out on? I want you to imagine for a moment to think about who is the average Christian? When I say who is the average Christian, what comes to your mind? I think for many of us, we think it's people who look similar to us. It's people who speak the same language as us or who worship in a sanctuary building similar to ours. But really, in his book, The Next Christendom, Philip Jenkins says that the average Christian living in our world today looks like a Nigerian woman living in a slum. And I say this because it is easy for us to miss out on the ways that Jesus is on the move all over the world. He is moving. And maybe, just maybe, we could know Jesus more through the voices of the global body of Christ. This is one of the reasons why we have global partnerships at Redemption in various countries around the globe because we want to be shaped by them. And we want to experience how Jesus is moving around the world outside of our own experience. See, I think about uh, a few years back, uh, Will Vakurovich and I were able to go to Guatemala City uh, to one of our partnerships in La Limonada, a neighborhood in Guatemala City. And I think about, for me personally, the ways in which I was able to experience Jesus moving as we prayer walked the neighborhood streets and went into homes and prayed for people, how I was able to experience the power of Jesus with this woman, Tita, who's the founder of the ministry down there because of this global partnership. Jesus is moving around the world, but are we missing out? But Jesus isn't just moving all over the world, he's moving here in our city. 
a few years ago as well, uh, a team from Redemption uh, entered into this process called asset-based community development. It was a year-long initiative that that Will Bukovic led a team and, and oversaw, and we did this, ABCD, um, for the purpose of getting to know our neighbors. Jesus says to love your neighbor, but we figure we as the church, how can we love our neighbor if we don't know our neighbor well? And so it was a year-long process of listening. We wanted to listen to uh, various people in the city, various places, had tons of meetings, and so that way we could get to know our city. And through that year-long process of listening, we were able to find out that there's areas of need in Tempe. There were five areas of need that were elderly, youth, working poor, people experiencing homelessness, and people with disabilities. But these are not just five areas of need. These are five ways to listen. Five ways to listen to Jesus and five ways to actually faithfully obey Jesus that we get to see how Jesus is on the move as we interact with these people, right? We, we have heard over and over again, we have city outreach groups at, at Redemption Tempe in order to speak into uh, each one of these areas to be able to rub shoulders and be in relationship with people. And what, what we've heard is time and time again that God is clearly on the move, that the power of Jesus is moving through these places, through these people, but are we missing out? See, I know with COVID, it can be challenging even of, hey, you know, let's go serve or let's get connected here in the city and everything with COVID makes it challenging. But man, if you want to listen and see the ways that Jesus is moving powerfully, you don't even have to necessarily go outside of Redemption Tempe because with youth and with, uh, with people with disabilities, we have our special needs ministry that Melissa Stone oversees. You could volunteer and be a buddy and experience the way that Jesus is moving. Or with Redemption Kids and Suzanne Gonzalez of being able to te teach kids about Jesus, to experience the very power of Jesus through children. Let us not miss out like the Pharisees on the ways that Jesus is moving, not only globally, in our city, but even in our midst. See, one of the Pharisees realized that he was missing out. Nicodemus. Let's look at verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him, gone to Jesus before, and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, he said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Last thing we see this morning is that Nicodemus says, incline your ear to Jesus. Listen to Jesus and give him a fair shot. See, the Pharisees boasted. In their arrogance, they were so overconfident that they said, look, none of us have ever believed in Jesus and none of us ever will believe in Jesus because we've studied the law, but now we see Nicodemus realized he was missing out. He's one of the Pharisees. He's one of their own and now he's standing up for Jesus to the Pharisees saying, hey guys, I think you're missing something. The very law that you're trying to indict Jesus by, the very law that you so proudly say you know and study, you're actually breaking it. Because Deuteronomy 1.16 says that you need to give a man a fair hearing so that proper justice can be served, and you're not doing that. Nicodemus 
wants the Pharisees to give Jesus a fair hearing because maybe if they listened to Jesus, their opinion about Jesus would be different. But what changed Nicodemus, one of these Pharisees? See, he had listened to Jesus. In John chapter 3, we see that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night to listen. And it's through listening to Jesus that he encounters his very power and he's changed. And what Nicodemus wants these Pharisees to do is to take some time to listen to Jesus, incline their ear to Jesus, and maybe they would judge him differently because he had experienced it. The problem with these Pharisees is not just their pride. They're too focused on Jesus' obscurity and Galilee. They say here, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They're hung up on Galilee and they refuse to listen. Just like the crowds focused on where Jesus was born, Nicodemus had realized where Jesus had come from, that he was from the Father. I like to think of Nicodemus as this already not yet disciple because he hasn't publicly professed faith in Jesus yet, but we know that he went to listen to Jesus in John chapter three. And we see now here in John chapter seven that he's standing up for Jesus to the Pharisees. And what we know is in John chapter 19, Nicodemus will publicly profess his faith in Jesus as a follower of Jesus. See, John, the writer of this gospel, wants us to see something as his readers today, and let us not miss it. John is setting this up so that we would see that it is one of these smug Pharisees, one of these proud Pharisees who was so confident that they would never believe in Jesus. It is one of these Pharisees who actually took time to listen to Jesus, who actually took time to listen to Jesus, who gave Jesus a fair shot, And as he did that, his encounter with Jesus changed him. See, this is exactly what happens when you listen to Jesus. It changes you. It's not just a one-time thing where you heard Jesus once and your life is forever changed. Jesus invites us to listen to him daily. That as we listen to Jesus, he shapes and forms us more into the image of himself. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. But I know from my own life, it's hard to listen to Jesus. There's all kinds of things that prevent us from listening to Jesus. There's things that hinder us. So my question for you this morning, what are the obstacles preventing you from listening to Jesus? What are the obstacles preventing you from listening to Jesus? I ask that because I want to take a moment. Here and now even, Jesus is speaking. He speaks to us through the power of his spirit and he speaks to us through his word. And so Jesus is speaking this morning. So I want to take a moment. I want to have you pray quickly to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what is the obstacle and enable me to listen? So let's do that now. What is the obstacle? Would you enable me to listen? See, these Pharisees close their interaction with Nicodemus by telling him to search and see. Search and see, Nicodemus. 
that you're wrong. Go study your Bible to disprove Jesus, that he is not who you think he is. Nicodemus, go search and see. But the good news of the gospel tells us that we don't need to search and see because Jesus is the one who searches and sees us, that he finds us, that he is on a search and rescue mission and he's coming after us, pursuing us. We don't need to search and see for Jesus. See, Jesus is the one that calls us. He calls us, he draws us to himself, and if you're here this morning or if you're watching online on the live stream and you're saying, man, I want to listen to Jesus. I want to experience this power and encounter Jesus like these temple officers. Then there's good news for you because the gospel tells us that Jesus has been calling you. Your voicemail box is full with messages from Jesus. Listen to your voicemail. When you listen to your voicemail, you will be able to encounter and experience the same awe and the same wonder that the temple officers had at Jesus. The invitation for you this morning is to not just hear about Jesus, but it's to listen to Jesus. So with that, let's come to the elements for communion this morning. Because these elements represent the very thing that removed our biggest obstacle to Jesus, our sin. That it is Jesus' body given and his blood shed that removes our sin. That it is Jesus' body given and his blood shed that unites us to him. That it is his body given and his blood shed that enables us to experience his transformative power. And so this morning, as we partake of these elements, the, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. You can take and eat. And the cup, the, the juice, this represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. Take and drink. Would you close in prayer with me?